Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Hockey Toolkit, Season 2, Episode 7. He finally gets it. I am Trevor DiCarlo. I'm Andrew Trimble. And we are your hosts, like I said, of the Hockey Toolkit, episode, Season 2, Episode 7. I, that was a real tongue twister. I, I don't know. Well, it, it's 27 overall, so I got a big question for you, Trevor. Who is the best hockey number 27? A lot oh, of greats. I couldn't even think of one off the top of my head right now because I'm still oh, stuck on. on season two, episode uh, 27. Hmm, give me one. Oh, you're looking on your phone. Look at you. You're cheating already. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I I should have known this. Like, why did I not know it? I mean, yeah, I was kind of cheating. But uh, who do I think is the best? Uh, probably. Uh, oh. I don't know. You you are right. Um, I'm gonna let you go first. Go ahead. You go first, well, and then well, in the and, mid mid nineties in the metropolitan New York New Jersey area, you had three good number twenty sevens. You had Derek King on the Islanders. He had like multiple forty goal seasons. Kind of flew under the radar for the Rangers. You had Alexei Kovalov. Whew, good wow, number twenty seven. I'm so mad. I forgot that. And then for the Devils, you had Hall of Famer, one of my favorite players ever, Scott Niedermeyer. So that'd be my 27. It wouldn't be Daryl Sittler. It'd be Scott Niedermeyer. Well, uh, I mean, that's, yeah, that, those are some pretty good ones. Not, are you sure it's not going to be John Tonelli? You sure? <laughs> it's not John Tonelli. It's not, uh, it's not Ryan McDonough. What about, what about the great JR, Jeremy Roenick? Jeremy Roenick. I, I figured from Chicago. I know, I know, I know. I told you it's been... It's uh, it's been a long day already, and it's uh, <laughs> already butchered the intro. But uh, I would actually, if I were to take any of them, I would definitely take Niedermeyer first. Um, just because he was, he, I mean, he adapted. God, could you imagine if he played in today's game? Played out west his whole career. Holy smokes! I mean, he was, he was so good. Every time he got on the ice, he dominated the ship. He controlled the pace of play. He was like, I mean, I think he'd be better than. I think he's better than Carlson. Or yeah, Carlson. He'd be different than Carlson because he was so good defensively. Too. That's like, what I mean. Was, like I think he would he be. Didn't give up much. No, right. I mean, again, he, think of how many points he could have put up if he did not have to play under you know Jacques Lemaire and all the, you know the, the left wing lock and all that BS in uh, New Jersey. But <laughs> hey, it worked for him. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm sure he's glad he got the championships. Like he's, and he's in the halls. He's got four rings. You know, that's not too bad. And he's in the halls. So I guess it, I guess it all worked out in the end. But my God, if he were playing in today's game, I mean, he would be the best, in my opinion, probably the best defenseman uh, in the league, right? Because of his ability to just high offensive ability plus his ability to play defense, I don't think there's anybody that would be able to match it. Yeah, I remember when I was his probably was his rookie season. And you know, I watched all the, the games when I was a kid. I watched every single Devils game. 91, 92, right? Okay. My Something era. like that. See, yeah. I can I know that, but I can't figure out who 20. But go ahead. Yeah, sorry. But there was a play like um he pinched or something, and he was the weak side D, and there was a puck that was kind of went the other side, and the attacking player, I think it was like somebody on Ottawa or something like that, had like a full neutral zone breakaway. And he caught up to him by like the hash marks and he was a full zone away. And I was like, is this guy for real? Holy yeah. smokes. He was that good a skater. That's uh that's unreal. Um the, just those, yeah. Those types of players. 
he, he was definitely a gen- you know it's tough would you say he's a generational player i mean i feel like i could say yeah because i mean he was one of the best the problem was is that he was in nick lidstrom's shadow yeah I think I think that was and he was no offense. I mean, he was in New Jersey, so it wasn't like despite people would only really notice him when the ABC would put those games on during the Stanley Cup finals because that's when they would be there. Outside oh, of that, sure. like he was just he was in the shadow of being in New Jersey and in Lidstrom's, but well, And he also his the whole the whole decor, like you know, I mean Scott Stevens never won a Norris trophy. Scott Stevens you know, has yeah. almost a thousand points and yeah. multiple times was the you know plus minus leader in the entire NHL. And, you know, f- was terrifying. <laughs> well, yeah. But people forget how good offensively he was too. Like you got him with Danico, you got, um, who else am I missing here? So you got those two. Bruce Rafals- driver was really good. Rafalski was, was great towards the end there, but uh, Rafalski. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a great defense. And then you've got Broder and Nat, who I still think Hasek is the greatest of all time. And I think Broder, I don't disagree. I think Broder only reason he's got more wins and stuff is because he played the team that played in front of him as well. Uh, not to take anything away from him, but I, that's why I just, I think Hasek just, but that's, uh, we, we can talk about goaltending another day, but, uh, but, but the thing about Broder though, too, like people don't realize he's got the win total because he played so many, freaking games oh if you yeah went to a devil's game in the 90s or the 2000s he brought was in nets i mean he played like 70 games every year yeah he set the record i want to say for an, in a season for uh games played and it was definitely i want to say it's like 78 it's crazy see, yeah i know these things but i can't tell you number 27 is because uh yeah see it's just pick and choose <laughs> what my brain comes up with but uh yeah, so uh, our episode, uh, it's number 27 overall, but this is season two, episode seven, and we're, uh, we'll are we be talking a little bit about uh, basically drills here in a little bit. But uh, first, trying to catch up. It's been, we're right here at the end of the holiday, um, the actual holiday of 1-1. But uh, how was uh, your holidays, Coach? It was great. I got to go uh, see my mom and my sisters down in New Jersey. I uh, spent the holidays down there. We came back. Just in time, though, for my son's, uh, he had a tournament in Rhode Island uh, right after the Christmas holiday. And then we were here for New Year's. And now, uh, you know, our teams are starting up today. They had their first, um, it was basically an optional skate, an optional gym as kids are traveling back to town. Uh, but we'll really be in the full swing of things tomorrow. How about yourself, Trevor? Uh, yeah, we um, we played a game right before the end of, uh, I think we want to play, we played it on the 23rd. Um we won. It was a good game. It was close against a team that we had previously lost to. And outside of that, after that, everybody kind of just dispersed. And we we're, we're basically on like a holiday break. We do have ice um, still for our teams. But outside of that, uh, hockey, we're just kind of playing it by ear. And whoever shows up, we kind of combined with the other, uh, with the 2013 team. We just kind of scrimmage and stuff. But my personal uh, holidays, you know what? They were, they're fine. Nothing, nothing crazy. Nothing, you know, nothing negative. Uh, you know, nothing. So I, I can't complain. Um, sometimes just low keys works for me. Absolutely. What, what, what was, what did Santa get you? Yeah, you know, Santa was, uh, he was kind of a prick this year. He didn't give me too much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I got some, you know, again, I get a lot of gift cards. Um, 
again, just for like Amazon and then, you know, your basic gift cards. Got a couple new shirts that I was uh, very excited to have. A nice flannel shirt that I don't don't have any flannels. No, I do. Uh, I guess that's a rite of passage of getting older. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, outside of that, I mean, my the team I coach, they went all out. Um one parent gave me, um, I forgot what it is, but it's got alcohol in it, and it definitely would knock me out if I drank the whole thing. Um, and then, um, but the whole team itself, I got a bunch of, uh, I got this giant thing. I mean, it's, I'm looking at it right now because I haven't even put a dent in it. Um, it's a giant cardboard uh, box, and it's just like, it's full of Reese's peanut butter cups, like packages. But when you look at it, it looks like one giant Reese's like it's, the, and it would be like probably the size of, I don't know. God, it'd probably be the size of like a dodgeball or something. So <laughs> I was like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, I got to get this out of my car. There's going to be just Reese's wrappers everywhere. Um, and then, you know, some other odds and ends and stuff, some a nice, uh, Nice team ornaments. So actually I think my team is much more nicer than Santa was this year. That's for sure. Well, that means you got kids that like you. That's good. Doing something right. The parents are willing to do that. But and again, they gave me some gift cards as well. So I can't complain. It's always appreciative of you know, I'm always appreciative of those types of gestures because um, you know, they don't have to do those things. And I'm one of those people that coaches that get something for my team managers. Well, this year I've got two, so team managers and my assistant coaches and actually t- this year because I got tired of like buying gift cards for adults and then I know yeah. they end up using them for kids. Um <laughs> I was like what can I get them that they can't give to their kids or let their kids have and I was like oh that's right booze. So I ended up buying a couple of bottles of wine, some uh I don't know, I'm not a big uh IPA or craft brew guy, but I bought a couple of different of those based on the recommendations their wives had given me for my assistant coaches. Uh, so yeah, I, they basically, everybody made out pretty well. I'll just put it that way. So that's uh, awesome. yeah, I just, I just feel like it's the least I can do, especially when, you know, especially the team managers, they're just volunteers. So, um, but yeah, so that was my holidays and, uh, I'm sticking to it. That's my story. I did not watch Christmas story at all this year. So I am, I'm happy because I've seen it so many damn times. Yeah. We're due for like a new elf was probably the last Christmas music movie that came out that everybody really is a consensus, like all timer, you know, I think we're due for another new good Christmas movie. I mean, I mean, it'd be great. I mean, don't get me wrong. Christmas story is a classic, but I've seen it so many times. Uh, Elf seen it plenty of times. Um, But yeah, I agree. I mean, Die Hard, I think is probably the best Christmas movie. (laughs) I recommended to watch that with, Told my wife, I said, I think Bear and I should watch Die Hard this year. It's a Christmas movie. And she was like, no. no. But I think it's a great idea. Yeah, it, it sounds like a great idea. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, I mean, what do you want to jump into? Let's talk about some drills. I think, you know, everybody, uh, when they're putting, everybody has an emphasis on drills. When they're putting together a practice plan, when you're putting together a curriculum for a season or a camp, about uh, you practice. have to talking about practice (laughs) you gotta have the right drills to make your team successful and i think a lot of times people fall into the crux of getting uh the fanciest or the most exciting drill and like liking a drill but it's really about the overall picture what the practice or the season is going to look like uh so i think it's a good opportunity for us to jump into what are, are some of our philosophies on drills and we have a great guest coming up later who explores that topic a little more so trevor what um, are some of your favorite drills and how do you utilize drills in a practice? 
Um, some of my favorite drills. I mean, what's funny is everybody's got different names for like the same drills. Um, so, but I mean, you know, the drills that I really like, and again, and it kind of depends on the team, but the ones that I like are the up tempo. Um, you know, it's fine if we run through it a couple times at half speed, but then I want it to be full speed. I want it to be game like. I want the pressure to be on you, but I also want drills that where it's not always just one predetermined outcome. Um, and you've, I've seen a lot of this being talked about online, um, in the sense of, um, you know, like, oh, you know, try and not have kids just go around tires and cones the whole time. And, um, I, I agree to a certain extent, but I also disagree because I think, you know, if you're working on skills and stuff, there is some importance to that. Um, but for me, like some of my favorite drills right now, um, you know, throughout a season, I don't really run too many, like I maybe have 10, 15 drills tops that I run through the whole season. Um, and you know what? They're drills that I've used from squirts all the way up to midget. Um, and again, a lot of them are just, you know, passing related, shooting related, skate. I mean, all the skills, but also I can pick and choose how I design them to, you know, is it an offensive zone drill? Are we working on this? Are we working on that? So, I mean, it's kind of a, it's tough for me because it's kind of a loaded question. Like, I guess you could say if you were asking specifically which drills are my favorite, but I really like going with the ones where kids have to think, players have to think, they don't have a lot of time to think, and we're playing at an up tempo pace. It's not a slog, it's not a slow, because nothing drives me drives me more up a wall than watching kids stand and sit back, like take a knee or they're out of the drill for a long time. How about yourself, coach? Well, a couple of things, you know, like, um, Team practices are different than skill sessions. I think I posted on the hockey focus uh, maybe a week or so ago, the clock drill, which is a very simple, basic um, skating drill that you can do really with any age level. And it'll be a challenge for them, whether it's U8 or U20s, uh, you know, transitioning at each crux of the a circle, you know, 12, 6, 3, and then 9. Yep. And going around that twice, you really got to hold your edges. You got to transition quickly. You got to make sure that uh, you're going at a speed and tempo that's challenging. That's a great skill drill that I really enjoy um, doing with all age levels on my skill session days. Um, when it comes to team practices, uh, I don't generally like full ice one-on-one scenarios. You know, we want to try to avoid those things, but I right. do like a small area one-on-one. So oftentimes, you know, we'll do a warm-up drill uh, with the wolves here and we'll have like uh, basically something to get the goalies involved and get some passing, get some movement early on, early on in the, in the, in the practice session. And then we'll go right into, you know, 15 second puck battles with a, in a one-on-one scenario in a small area where you guys, and, and they have one puck and they're competing for it. And some kids will really make the most of those situations. Other kids will kind of take the time off. But uh, if you do that over the course, uh, you know, that can make a big difference in your ability to win pucks, keep pucks, extend plays. Uh, and it's just a very simple drill that I think that isn't, you, you do that a hundred times a game. Uh, then I do like small area games. I, I really, there's so many variations that you can either begin a practice with or finish a practice with or throw in the middle of a practice that can have a lot of different concepts and can really make a big difference in your team's overall, like uh, overall um, ability to communicate, to make plays in a small area and to think the game really well, which is something that Craig hits on a little bit later. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely with the, um, this year, for example, like, I don't know, like the last probably two, three, four, five years beforehand in coaching, I mean, I had midgets and then I had a peewee team. Um, and I was very fortunate with those teams where we just had full eyes for the teams. Um, so I was able to structure around 
you know, using zones for each one, um, you know, like one, my assistant, I'll take the kids on, you know, half the team on one side and I'll take that on the other half, uh, where I really didn't have to break the zone down into quarters like this year where, um, not even quarters, but I guess you could say the zone in half, um, but more or less because we've got one session where it's just half ice, um, which was new for me. And, you know, in, in the last newer, I guess you could say, it's not like I haven't had to run them before, but, um, it was different because now I'm designing drills that are using only a quarter of it or half of a zone um, and trying to work around that. And it's, um, you know, again, small area games are great um, when you've got the right type of constraints in there. Um, you know, and even those are good. Again, I have nine U's, so it's a little different, but even for like, you know, skill based stuff, um, you know, there's, it's, it's been really made me how to think, think outside the box on, Hey, what do we need to really work on besides the typical, you know, like five skills, five, you know, basic skills and such. So yeah, that's been a huge one this year really is just thinking outside the box. Um, and trying to, you know, create my own drills. Um, you know, what are you, do you have set drills? I mean, we all have set drills, but do you ever sit there and just like, you know what, I'm going to you know create a drill and this is how we're going to do it. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes I'll like, uh, a lot of the five on five stuff, like, um, I'll add a puck in or a face off in or a regroup in after the initial sequence is over. That is kind of like I had maybe a, a template for the drill. Then, uh, you know, I want to slow it down and break it down. So we'll have like a, a second element to it that I've kind of added into the drill. So sometimes I do do that. And it's really important. I think coaches to, you know, use that whistle and, uh, you know, stop a drill. If a kid's doing it incorrectly or the team isn't getting the concept, slow it down, take 30 seconds. Don't take five minutes, take 30 right. seconds and break it down because, if you're not pointing out what they're doing wrong, they're never going to be able to get to do it right. So I think there's a, a real point to that for sure. All right. Well, I'm going to get my PSA then out of the way if we're going to go right to it there. Uh, <laughs> my biggest thing is my pet peeve with practices and when running drills is that coaches, like if you've got kids standing there and they're not doing anything, and I've watched this over the years and at one drink I was at recently, I don't know, it was a might team, a might team. Okay. Uh, using half the ice and only three kids were skating and the other kids were taking a knee and it was like, okay, we're going to swap out one kid for another, like one at a time. And okay, you do the drill. I think maybe every kid, I don't even know. I felt like some kids didn't even touch the puck or didn't even touch the drill. Um, And they're using again, half ice. They're only using one half of that half ice. I was like, why not just take the same drill, flip it, move it to the other side. You've got five coaches on the ice use them all. And now all the kids are getting more reps. So like coaches shut up on the ice, keep it simple and keep the kids moving. That's it. I, I love that Trevor. And I agree with it a thousand percent. My pet peeve, if we're going to, well, this is full, full tangent mode. For, Might as well. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's get Trevor. it out. <laughs> my, my pet peeve is when, um, so let's say you have three teams on the ice. Yep. Okay. And that means you're using all three zones and every team gets a zone. They can do their drills within that zone. Maybe you have a combined section at the beginning, which is some skating for the first 10 minutes to warm up. And this is mostly at the youth level with like yeah. 10U or 12U and younger. Uh, I watched one, you know, one year, a local team never had any other zone except the neutral zone. Coaches, will you communicate and work together? Yeah. The goalie needs a crease, man. <laughs> 
or at least There's draw no a crease. In the zone. No, no, at least draw a crease. You know, and that that brings me to a question that I, you know, I was thinking about earlier. I was going to ask you, and might as well fire it off now because we're in that point. Is you know, <laughs> when when you run drills, coach, do you ever do you run drills where you're moving the net, or do you keep drills pretty simple? And this is more or less towards the small area games because I know there's there's two different trains of thought. One is, you know, if I move the net where I'm making it like cross ice three on three that really doesn't develop or it's kind of detrimental to the players and the goalies, especially because they don't have their crease and that's not how the game is played. But I've also heard, you know, and where those coaches then flip it, they want one single single net. They want it in the crease and they're going to design their games around that one net. Do you have preference? Do you care? Do you not? I mean, yeah, I I like to stack my drills. So if I have, three drills where the, the net's in the crease, we're going to do those three drills in row, so I'm not moving the net multiple times. And then when we, if we go to cross ice and I have two drills that involve that cross ice scenario, that'll finish the practice or start the practice, but they'll be stacked together so that we're not moving the net back and forth. That's just kind of a waste of time to me. Uh, I did have a mic practice um, for, for Barron's team maybe two weeks ago, and I didn't realize it. The coach actually said it to me at the end of practice. Uh, I had four cones out there, or four tires, and I did three or four different drills, but they all involved the same tires, but it just was and the same groups of kids, but we just flip-flopped what the drill was. It was start off as like a one-on-one race coming out of the corners. Then it became a one-on-one uh, angling drill on each side. And then it became a uh, footwork drill, in which they're working on the transitional footwork going through those tires uh, and an obstacle course. So I think you can maximize the time if you stack the drills like that, where if you're not moving the nets, you're not wasting time. Right. No, I mean, the coaches I was talking about were like, they were adamant about not wanting to play cross ice games. And this is for any age group. I mean, for the older age groups, they didn't like moving the net because they're like, it's not realistic to the game. And I was just like, okay. And I I could see there what their point was. So like, they were just like, we want to play, you you know, three on three in the zone, but maybe, the constraint is the coach is the, you know, the transition you got to pass to the coach and there's drills that you can easily do in the zone. How I do one. That's a transition game where it's just depends on which team gets it. Um, And, and that's in the zone and that never moves. Um, But again, like some of these coaches and I forgot where I was, it was a, it was a topic of discussion, but I want to say it was like, but it was coaches at that level. And they're like, no, we want to leave the net where it's at. I'm just like, not use cross but what about cross ice but so i don't know i mean i was just curious what your thoughts were i really i think it just depends on what you're trying to teach and how you're trying to teach it and who gives a shit where the net is as long as you're working on the things you need to i mean the kids can pretty much figure out you know players can figure out where the net's going to be in a game and that doesn't change um unless you got a crazy goalie but yeah i would say with that one now now that you articulate the question like i i get what you're saying i would say that when you do make cross ice though it really it's more game realistic on the breakout and the four check because the nets are facing each other. So you have an F1 on a four check and then yep. you have to identify, get on the D side of that puck. Whereas if it's just one net and you're passing to the coach, the D side changes so quickly and it's not like a realistic breakout. You can oftentimes just go one pass right up to the middle to the coach or whoever may be the designated player to pass to. And it's just a different breakout because it's a stationary target. So I would say that there is value a lot in in the cross ice look from those. Absolutely, no, and I I completely agree. I guess my last question to you before we hit our interview here 
is um, in regards to, and now I'm drawing a blank. Man, I am just completely off this episode. What was my question? Oh, you're crushing it, Trevor. Don't, don't, don't. don't what was ahead. my question going to be, damn it? Um, there we go. Got it. Um, so in regards to like organizing your, like your drills, I mean, I know you probably, you just, well, you've been doing it longer than I have is coaching, but I've seen so many drills. I've ran so many different drills over the years. Uh, I've seen other coaches or I've been taking part on teams that we ran so many different drills. How do you keep all those drills organized? If you like, if you actually keep them, um, or do you just, you know, just kind of go by the, you know, on the fly, do you have like a, a binder full of drills, full of different areas or, you know, what does your drill, basically your drill book look like? So that's a great question. Um, so I don't know if you know this, Trevor, I don't know if you know this, but Rick Trimble published three successful volumes of the ultimate hockey drill book in the, in the mid nineties. not. If you Google it, you can check it out. I'm, Dad, I'm getting you, getting you. Funds from the grave, buddy. Uh, <laughs> he uh, he had these uh, two. He was a note taker, so like my dad was a teacher, and he always took notes. He would highlight every book. He would take notes on lectures, and he would start to go to my practices and other people's practices because he was like a you know nonstop rink rat, and and just take notes and binders of of drills. Um, and, and then he found that he had thousands of drills. So he had the first two volumes were published. Um, uh, you know, I think about 95, 96, and you could get them, you can get them on Amazon still. And they're also, um, you know, he sold them locally at the ocean hockey supply. And then, uh, he came up with a third volume years later and championship productions came out with a couple of videos based upon those drill books. Um, so you know, he was, he was a note taker. Uh, and then I kind of incorporated that when I first started out coaching, I have a bunch of different binders, like, uh, you know, and I write them on paper. I'm not like, uh, I'm not that tech savvy. So I still write them out, draw them out. And I, and I go back to those things when I want to, I want to get that, that information um, to incorporate in a practice. How about yourself, Trev? Um, so I, for myself, I mean, I do have a complete like five, six different books full of drills. I've got all the USA hockey ones. Like, so I guess I have those in those areas uh, for myself lately. Um, and you know, here's their, they're uh, un- unsolicited, unsponsored plug, but uh, I use a lot of uh, the coach, <laughs> uh, basically icehockeysystems.com. I use their, what uh, I have an account, so I use their uh, software to draw up drills. And again, I've gone through and I've maybe made, you know, 60 different drills just because I try not to use too many different drills throughout a season. So, um, I've only been using it since after COVID. So um, that tells you a whole lot about the different drills, but um, I use their website and I use their platform and their uh, software and I drop the drills through there. Um, And I find it not only do they have great drills on their own already, so I can kind of go in there and snipe ones and like, Oh yeah, I like this one. I can just add it to my, you know, my practice for that one. But also being able to have the ones that I have, I'm able to just take that and honestly just forward it out to once I create the practice plan, I just forward it out to my assistant coaches or whomever. And um, it's pretty cut and dry, um, pretty simple to understand and pretty easy to use. So I, I've got a bunch of different resources. Um, if I see something I really like, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll typically do it. You know, you just said, I'll, I'll go and, you know, piece of paper, I'll draw it up and put it somewhere so that the next time I see it, you know, I put it either in, a binder, or I basically draw it up and put it on my uh, 
keep it in my practice uh, log over at uh, Ice Hockey Systems. So, um, I love that. that. That was not a sponsored plug because if it was, it would have been 10 times better. But um, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I just I feel like digitally, it's just easier for me to keep it all there instead of having different binders and stuff. That's my well, personal thing. That's great, Trevor. I think it's, uh, you know, I've seen some of those things sh- shared with me from other coaches and it blows away what I'm putting together. But I also have a, l- a very short attention span. So that's <laughs> personal weakness that I have to work on and improve. Well, my, uh, old, my old job, I was, I get bored pretty easily. So I'd be sitting there and be like, ah, what drills can I draw up today? <laughs> you think that's a good segue for Coach Russell? Well, let's get her going. <laughs> All right, hockey fans here with us. We have Craig Russell. He's the head coach at Plymouth State University. He started coaching there in the early 2000s. He started off as an assistant coach after playing there and now has had tremendous success with that program. Uh, a number of MASCAC championships, able to make the NCAA tournament at the Division Three level, and they're rocking and rolling. So welcome to the podcast, Craig. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. Now, our topic of discussion today is is drills and uh, you know how you incorporate them in practice. If you can just give the, the fans at home some kind of information on how you like to structure practices, how you like to start with your drills, what drills you like to go first, what drills you like to kind of hit in that meat of the practice, and then kind of what drills you like to generally finish your practice with? Yeah. Um, interesting. I think it really depends on the time of week that we're in. We play, uh, we're, we're the only unconventional conference in the, in the country. So we play Thursdays and Saturdays. Um, there's positives and negative negatives to it, but that gives us that Friday practice in between to make changes and go over a few things for preparation, which is actually kind of nice. Um, but early in the week, um, well, almost every practice, we'll start with a good warm up just to get the goalies gauged, um, get everybody some touches, get everybody's feet moving a little bit, um, and then we'll get into probably a flow drill or two. Um, sometimes a heavy flow drill if it's early in the week, um, and then in the meat of the practice, we'll typically be doing um, game situational things. Now that could be sometimes it's five on five, sometimes it's a progression drill that might start as a a two on two and then work its way up to a five on five. Um, we just do a lot of different variations ending with five on five and those practices in the meat or in the drills in the meat of our practices. Um, towards the end, um, we may work in some small games, some small area games for some competition or, uh, or just for some fun. Um, and that'll kind of be what we'll usually finish practices with in the first half of our week. Um, so with games being Thursdays and Saturdays, typically Wednesdays and Fridays are obviously a lot lighter, um, probably not doing any small games, uh, unless we're just looking to have some fun to keep it light. Um, but not a lot of contact, um, not a lot of heavy pace drills, really just, uh, skating, moving, getting, getting the touches, getting the goalies, you know, the, the touches they need and, and, and get them gauged on their angles, um, might work on some position specific stuff. Uh, bringing the forwards down to one end and working on some scoring drills with them and then uh, working on puck retrievals with defensemen as well. That's good. Great coach. Um, you know, a couple things on that, like, uh, you know, that, that schedule is is pretty difficult. Like I remember coaching high school hockey in New Hampshire and it was Wednesday and Saturday and it was yeah. tough to kind of fit in everything when you're doing like a progressive format, when you're trying to, you know, incorporate skills or skating or things like that. Uh, now, obviously the college game is much different, but where do you find time for, 
for skills? Or do you do that on separate days or beginning of the season? Or how do you incorporate that kind of stuff in your program? Um, I think we'll do it. Uh, we kind of feel, feel the team out a little bit, but certainly yeah. early in the season. Um, we do have some uh, Monday and Wednesday mornings uh, where we have extra ice that can be utilized more for the skills. Um, we do that, um, did that the whole first semester, and we're going to continue to do that this semester as well. Um, but as far as instruction practices, we'll do some skills kind of built into drills, not necessarily yeah. by themselves. Um, if we do do it, we'll we'll typically do it when it's in those position-specific um, drills like I spoke about. But um, certainly toward the end of the season, less is more, a little bit. Guys are kind of tired of listening to us. So we uh, <laughs> we um, will definitely build in some different practices then. We'll shorten our actual team practices quite a bit um, through the month of February, really, um, just to keep the guys fresh. Uh, we'll, we'll leave extra time at the end of every practice to work on stuff. We can build in some skill drills there, too, for the guys that want it. Um, well, that's a good so, question. How, how long are your typical practices? At the college so level. Typical, typical practices are an hour and a half. Um, and then, um, like I said, we've got that uh, extra ice in the morning where we can have anywhere. Mondays and Wednesdays are the easiest days with the rink. So, we'll, I mean, we could have up to two hours of ice in the morning if we wanted to. So oh, that's fantastic. For the guys that can get there with their class schedule, you know, they can definitely capitalize on those times. Now, you also have, you know, your own children playing hockey. Um, and this is kind of aside from the college stuff. What have you seen out of, you know, if you were, if you were creating an ideal program uh, for your, your boys, what, what, how would that youth, a youth practice, what would that look like for you if you were creating that ideal practice at the youth level? Um, so, yeah, I've got, um, I've got a seven-year-old son. He plays, uh, he did U8 last year. He's on a, a lower U10 team this year, just so he can get some full ice experience, I think. Um, it's a small team. I think there's only 10 skaters, 10 or 11 skaters, depending on the day. Um, I think doing, uh, you know, skills and stuff like that with those kids is obviously great skating, any skating drill, power skating stuff, uh, where they're drills, where they're getting a lot of touches in the skill drills and, and just working on their kind of their spatial awareness, really. Um, it's not necessarily, yeah, they want to, we, you want them to execute, but, um, just understanding their bodies and how, how it works when you got a, you know, a three foot stick to kind of work with the perception of what that is versus your, where your eyes are. Um, so I think, um, you know, seeing a lot more of that with the coaches that they're really doing a lot of skills, um, coupled with skating, uh, in the drills, which is great. Um, I would personally like to see them do more games, uh, whether it be small games or just, you know, a controlled scrimmage and in, in, on half of the ice or something like that. Um, I think the players gain a lot from just playing the game and just understanding, uh, you know, where to be, when to be there and timing. I think, um, you know, the ADM model and the skill development is, has been tremendous. I mean, you look at the U S junior team right now and, and how skilled they are. Um, but I think their skating is phenomenal too, but I think we've gotten away a little bit from just the play and the hockey sense, the hockey IQ piece a little bit unintentionally for sure. But, um, you know, I'd like to see a little bit more gameplay, I think, with the younger kids and, and but keep the skills and the skating and heavily involved. But I would like to see like our guys, our kids have two to three practices a week. I'd like to see, you know, 15 minutes of one of those practices just be dedicated to some games. I think the kids would love it and I think they would benefit a ton from it. No, I agree with you, coach. I I, I think that um, 
you know, those small area games and adding constraints to those games really, um, really makes a big difference. And, you know, yeah. I, I certainly seen it with my, my kids team, um, you know, it just gets them thinking, Oh, I got to make a play here in order to score a goal over there. I got to move the puck here. We have to move away from yep. the puck. It really, really creates yep. a different dynamic. And like you said, you can't get that as much when you're just doing go around this cone or go to this spot. Like yep. you're not going to get that, that, that feel for the game as much. Yeah. I, I just think the, you know, the kids, the way that they play without the puck is the most important thing. And if they're doing so many skills, touches and stuff like that, they almost always have a puck on their stick. So they, they kind of don't know what to do when, when they don't have it. That's a great point. Trevor, what do you got for coach? So coach, yeah. Thanks again for coming on. Um, you know, the big thing that I would, uh, you know, I'm curious about throughout the season, especially we talk about drills and progressions and such. Where do you guys at the collegiate level, what does your practices, I know we've you know touched on skills and such, but um, trying to, you know, build up, systems and understanding of how you want your players to play because obviously at college you know you do bring in a new class um mm-hmm. every year and you rotate out so how do you guys go about um teaching those things from the beginning of the season to maybe say middle you know you're you're basically your third quarter of the season yeah no that's a really great question trevor um i think i think um you know the biggest thing that we preach and and really, really deconstruct to construct it our own way every year is our defensive zone play. Um, I think like there's so we got to be on the same page as a five man unit. there, really sticks. Um, So goalies know where shots are going to come from and what to expect. Um, But I found that this year where last year we had a really heavy senior class uh, of defensemen. And this year, obviously we don't. So we had some growing pains kind of in there where these guys are super talented. They can skate, they can all move the puck, they can shoot the puck, they can do all the fun stuff, but they just were, they were missing on some cues just simply because they don't have the experience. So, um, so that's why we go back to doing a lot of five on five in practice so we can get as good of a game look as we can against each other. um, So we can learn about what our structure looks like in the defensive zone. I think as we move up the ice, um, I think we have less structure, if you want to use a word for it. Um, we definitely have an overall philosophy. Um, but structurally, off in the offensive zone, we just we have cues on things, but we don't like to do a lot of structure there because I want them to be creative. Um, I want them to be comfortable making plays. We have a ton of time to recover if the play that they're trying to make doesn't happen. Um but I think what we've learned with this group this year being so young, like I talked about in, on the defensive end, um, is that our neutral zone, you know, we're better when we just move the puck up ice quick in the neutral zone. So we kind of dumbed it down a little bit this year, whereas years past we could make the guys think a little bit more because they had a lot more experience. Um, where this year it's like, boys, just I want you to move your feet, get the puck up the ice and and we'll try to re-enter the zone as quickly as we can. So that puts a little bit of uh, accountability on the forwards to get out of the zone quick so they can be an option on the re-entry. Um, but those are, you know, we talk a lot about philosophy and less about structure. But where we have the most structure is definitely in our defensive zone. No, yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's I love hearing that. Um, that's what we do for all teams. I mean, you want to have your structure in the defensive zone, and then as soon as you get out, you know, you don't want to, pigeonhole kids into like lanes and yep. stuff, which 
at the youth exactly. level here. I've heard, unfortunately, too many times, um, like, oh, if you're a right wing, you stay on the right side. And it's like, yeah. what? No, no. And yeah. I know that doesn't happen yeah. with you guys, but. Yeah, um, well, like, I think it's, you know, for the level too. Like when you have kids that just don't understand, then you go way, way, way back and, and make it super simple for them. Um, but then when it's the in between, when they do know what they're doing, it's like, yeah, you want to let them be creative and understand like, oh, I'm the right wing, but I'm on the left side of the ice right now. You know, maybe I don't have to go all the way over there. Oh, absolutely. So my, my last question would be, I mean, obviously you've had a ton of success and you've done a phenomenal job as a, you know, an NCAA division three coach. What would you attribute in your practices to that success? Um, I think, uh, two things. I think the amount of gameplay, whether it be small area games or just five on five stuff that we do, even if it's just, um, sometimes we'll just do face-offs and we'll just really hammer face-offs, face-offs, face-offs on both sides of the puck. Um, but I think, um, I don't know. I, I know you don't want to talk about off ice, but our off ice habits have a lot to do with it too. Where, you know, we've, we've got a really phenomenal, um, weight room here on campus that the guys have access to and our strength coach is phenomenal and he's really helped kind of elevate that culture um, for us which has been a huge piece but as far as on ice I just think the compete level I think that's what it's been Um, every team is different every year like you said you get new faces some years there's you know only four or five new guys and then there's years like this year where we've got 15 new guys so um, you know just making sure that their compete level is up every day and trying trying to make your practices harder um, so that games seem a little bit easier. No, absolutely. Hey, well, Coach Trimble and I will talk about anything related to hockey, whether it's hot <laughs> ice, off ice, whatever. But uh, no, thanks. I, I mean, that's very insightful. And it definitely, I mean, what you do off the ice does affect what you do on the ice too. So that's a great point. Yeah, like I said, we only have an hour and a half on the ice. And some days, most days, we'll do uh, an ice cut in between just so the ice stays pretty good. And that takes 15 minutes away. So really it's only an hour and 15 minutes. So we really want to get the most out of that hour 15 um, that we really rely on the weight room right afterwards to, for the guys to really push themselves and keep themselves in really, really good shape, which they do. They do a great job with. Coach, before we let you go, and I know you got little, little kids at home, so I'm not going to keep you too long, but uh, you, you hit on something about a compete level and doing that mm-hmm. in practice. What is a drill at home that you could, you know, describe, to a coach who's listening to this uh, that creates that compete level and, and builds that compete level into practice. Are there specific drills that you do that you've seen been very effective at the college level? Um, I think it's more of a mentality than it is a drill. Um, we talk a lot about the mental game. The mental game is such an overlooked piece, but it's really just being in the right headspace um, when we get into a drill and just making it game-like and whatever it calls for. If it's if it's a simple warm-up drill where it's, you know, a forward passing it to the D and they go D to D and then they've got to find somebody in a lane and then they've got to do it again. Um, you know, it's, it's about making those reps count and playing against an imaginary opponent. And maybe even though it's only a warm-up drill, you can still do it. And do you have to do it, you know, with the utmost intensity? No, but you can't just go through the motions. We're not pro hockey players. We don't do this for a living. We're not earning millions of dollars doing it. So you know, our, our headspace has got to be, has got to be correct. And we've really got to be competing, you know, within ourselves to have that discipline to do, you know, to get the most out of every, everything that we do. Um, so I don't, I mean, we definitely will have days where it's just a, it's a compete day where it's just small games. Um, you know, it'll be green versus white. We'll kind of put something on the line. It'll be, you know, fun, but the guys will really get after it. 
Um, but, you know, we expect, you know, we expect our defensemen to compete just as hard as our forwards are trying to compete for pucks on the wall or space in front of the net or something like that. So I think, um, you know, no matter the drill that we're doing, you know, that's kind of our philosophy is, you know, as a standard that we've set that we expect there to be, you know, an internal compete level within everybody for each rep that they do in every drill. I love that coach. That's, that's fantastic information. And really Trevor and I really appreciate you coming on and we wish you a ton of success as you get closer here in the uh, NCAA tournament coming up. So good luck coach. I appreciate it guys. Thanks again for having me. Best of luck. Thanks. All right. Well, once again, thanks again to coach Craig Russell, the head coach at Plymouth state university uh, for jumping on the podcast with us. He gave us some great insight and he's had a ton of success. Uh, for the Plymouth Panthers. Trevor, what'd you take from the interview? Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, I think the biggest thing was, you know, it wasn't even the drills aspect. I really, really liked what he was saying about, you know, a lot of, you know, how they build their program, you know, starts off the ice and what they're doing off the ice. And I think, you know, that not only made me think about specifically like, okay, doing off ice training, but also like, what are you instilling off the ice for your team that leads into practice? And I think a lot of that is, um, you know, if you want to play with pace, you, you got to practice with pace. So you need to say like, Hey boys, you know, we're, we're girls. We're, we're, we need pace here. We need to be moving our feet, you know? And again, obviously you can slow, as we talked about slow drills down, but you want to pick them back up so that you're playing with that pace. If you want to be physical, well, you're going to have to be a little bit physical in practices. Obviously you tone it down towards, uh, you know, game time. Um, and I really thought that was unique that they play Thursdays have a day off and then they go back and play Friday or Saturdays um, because the, you can completely readjust everything from your Thursday night game for better preparation for that Saturday game. What about yourself, coach? Yeah, no, I agree with you that, you know, the MASCAC, the, that's where Plymouth state is in there in the MASCAC, which is NCAA division three. It's one of the divisions within that, that bracket. And, uh, everything is probably within, I'd say, three hours of one another. So it's easier to travel when your travel is limited like that. You know, a lot of other conferences, they have to play Saturday, Sunday, because you may have a seven-hour bus trip on on Saturday morning or something like that. Um, so that's kind of an advantage, I think, that where they can get those one nights, like you said, one night game, and then you can practice the next day and prepare for that following game. Uh, the thing I thought that was best about what Coach Russell said is pretty much what, what, what you articulated as well, that – um, it's the culture and the compete level that, that makes the drills more effective. You can have the, you can have the best drills in the world. You can have these super, you know, advanced and difficult drills, but if the players are going half speed in those drills, it's not going to translate positively to the game. So you need to have a culture of, uh, you know, teamwork, playing together, putting in the effort, high compete level in order for your team to really maximize the practice time. No, absolutely. And that's, uh, Again, we appreciate it, Coach, for uh, Coach Russell for coming out, and uh, we wish him the best of luck the rest of the season. Absolutely. Now, Trev, what do you got for five myths? You're up first, buddy. Well, this week we got uh, five myths of drills, hockey drills, <laughs> not just any drills, but I mean, I guess it could be any drills. But uh, I got the I got the run to here of the one, three, and five. So, uh, the start the five myths of uh, drills. I'm going to say that uh, the first myth is that drills can't be messy. Um, and they got to be perfect. And um, that's, uh, I think that's false. That's not true. Um, when you're teaching 
anything to any new group, um, especially a new drill for the very first time, it's okay to be messy. It's, you know, it's, it's okay to, you know, if for it not to be perfect, it's kind of like the object is for it to, you know, you got to get better. Um, if it just you know, went out and you did it perfectly from the get go, what, like what's the, then you, clearly you don't need to work on it. Right. Um, you know, I took that from uh, coach, uh, Dave Laszlo, um, his coach, and I believe still in Europe. Um, uh, but you know, that was one thing he told, he had said, um, uh, during conversation was, you know what, let it be messy. Who cares? Like, let the drills just be how they are. Um, you know, and if they, they don't start off well, fine. Oh, well, let it see if it works out. And if it doesn't, then you move on. Okay. Then it didn't work out. Any thoughts? I agree coach? with you. I, yeah, I agree <laughs> with you a thousand percent because I think that oftentimes you don't really get to where you want to get to with the drill until that meat part of the, like, if you have 10 minutes, a segment for like 10 minutes of the drills, you don't really get to that place of trial and error to success until maybe the third or fourth minute. So if you're blowing the whistle after the first minute and then resetting and blowing the whistle again, you never get to that, that good part of the drill. Um, so it's all, it's a kind of a personal thing. I usually let, you know, um, I'll, I'll draw up the drill. We might go through the first two or three reps and they might be failure reps. Like they might not get it for those first two or three. I might you know, interject and say something as they're doing the drill, like, you know, tape to tape passes, no indirect passes, maybe, you know, present a good target, you know, call for the puck, stop yeah. on the net, whatever it may be. And then it starts to get a little bit better. And I don't have to stop them doing the drill or missing their rep call everybody in so i agree with you a thousand percent i think it's overlooked sometimes too absolutely what do you got for number two coach number two basic drills are for basic drills are for advanced players Hmm. i think that uh drills are for players (laughs) that's it now basic drills can be used by advanced players and they can get a lot out of it basic players might not be able to get advanced drills and that's where you have to kind of like stop those things sometimes like you maybe not incorporate that into practice but i think if you look at guys like Sidney crosby if you look at training videos for Connor mcdavid they're still doing stuff on their edges they're still reinforcing these basic habits that they need to be successful you know you i, I love videos on online of you know brad marchand and, and Sidney crosby and one-on-one puck battles like those are that stuff's great and that's a basic drill which you don't even have to draw up on a dry erase board, but it's, they're doing it a hundred times a game. What are your thoughts, Trev? You know, I think it's, I agree with, you know, I agree with you on this. I think the biggest thing is that it's easier for, you know, entry level players to do obviously the entry level ones, but I think it's, it's still easy for the advanced level players. And I say easy because of my lack of uh, English today. Um, I promise I'm not on anything that's illegal or even legal. Um, basically, I think like advanced players, as you said, they can go back to those basic drills. Um, you know, and I think you a drill's a drill, as you said. So yeah, I, I agree. I don't know where I'm going with this. I agree. It's one of those nights. <clears throat> <laughs> no, but I mean, I think there's there's a place where you can, if you do too many basic drills, players don't advance. You know, you have to incorporate as players get older. Uh, more constraints and more difficult level of more difficulty. But, but I do think, you know, getting back to basics, there's always a place for that. Absolutely. I mean, with, you know, when you look back and you've talked about those videos um, for sure, there is, you know, you see a lot of guys, especially 
right when they're getting back after taking a couple of weeks off from the season, they're going right back to those basic drills of, you know, um, footwork and shooting technique. And it's nothing crazy. It's, it's stuff that you work with, you know, how learn to skate kids with. So, um, I 100% agree with that. Um, I think people who don't are crazy. <laughs> what do you got for three? Uh, so number three is it's okay not to have a practice plan. Uh, and this is just basic. I mean, this is just basic, uh, just human. Why am I struggling? This is just basic hockey coach 101. You always need to have a practice plan or at least something in place. Um, I can't tell you how many times I would go, you know, I, I go on the ice or I'm watching from the stands. Um, and you can tell when coaches don't have a practice plan. It's because the kids are screwing off half the time or they're, they're not paying attention or, um, you know, and then you ask the coach like, Oh, what, what are you planning? Oh, we were, we were going to do this, this, but you know, like have something in place, a little bit of structure. And I'm not saying you can't have unstructured time because that's, there's nothing wrong with that, but Going onto a 60 or 90 minute ice slot with no plan in place, in my opinion, is just a complete waste of however many dollars your program or yourself is paying. Um, it doesn't make sense not to have something done. And, I, and I've seen it happen. I've seen, oh, we're going to skate them a little bit here. And then, you know, okay, what's the next drill? And again, it, it takes a little bit of work to be a good coach and to have good practices. And as we talked about before, where I was watching that, you know, mites one, if, you know, wherever I was, um, you know, if you really think about it and you sit there and say, how can I maximize the, the amount of ice that we have? They could have been easily have just taken that drill and added it to the other side as well. And now you're doing it twice. Kids are getting more reps, getting reps compared to not sitting around, um, you know, and those are things that if you actually have a practice plan written out, you might actually see that. And again, it doesn't have to be perfect. It might even just be writing out what the drills are. Um, but at least it lets you process uh, what you're doing and have an idea of an attack instead of just going into it with, oh, we might do this, we might do that, we might, you know, we could do this. Like, no, have something in place. And if you want to have a little bit of unstructured time or time where you can throw in a drill here or there, whatever, that's, that's fine, but at least be mostly structured with it. I agree a hundred percent, Trevor. I think it's like showing up to work in your pajamas. Like yeah. you, you got to have, and, and parents notice, parents notice that that's the first thing they're going to notice. If you go out there and you're, you know, winging it, um, you know, you, if you, if you're going to get a parent complaint about Johnny's not getting enough ice time, they're going to, they're going to come back with, well, you don't even, you know, you don't even have a practice plan. And then you're yeah. setting yourself up for failure. So I would say that thousand percent, you need to have at least the framework of what the schedule would look like. You know, kids don't just show up for school and be like, Oh, we got school today. What's up? Next? Go to gym. Yeah. Let's go to gym. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they have a schedule and that's what, that's what a practice plan really is. It's like, you know, between this 10 minutes, we're doing this between this 10 minutes, we're doing this. And it's a schedule for your ice session. So you need to have that. Exactly. What do you got for number four coach? Number four, I got, you can't run practice with one goalie. So I had a, you know, we first started our midget program. We hired a midget coach uh, and, you know, it's a split season midget program. So a couple of years ago, he, he would freak out at me. Like, be like, coach, I don't, what am I going to do out there? I only have one goalie. Can we, can we call? It's like 10 minutes before practice is going to start. He's like, Oh, can we call up a local kid? And it's like, dude, you just got to adjust your practice plan. You got one goalie. That's okay. It's not the, he'll face more shots. It's not a big deal, but 
you, you got to figure it out for practice. Um, I've had other people like, uh, you know, complain about, I've, I've seen the high school team here locally that has, you know, had one goalie and it's like, they only used one half of the ice for the full season of practice. And it's like, that just seems really silly. Um, you know, so I, I think that it might take a little more thinking, thinking outside the box. Uh, you might have to structure your practices a little bit differently, but if you have one goalie, that's just an opportunity for that goalie to face more shots. It's not, not that you can't do full ice drills and not that you can't, um, have two nets on the ice. You have to have one net. You, you have to figure out how to use that goalie and that ice effectively. No, I mean, so, I mean, from my, from my standpoint, I've coached teams where I've only had one goalie and yeah, we would always like two goalies, not only just for the drill sake, but also for the team's sake and for the, you know, the development of the, the goalies themselves, where I, be, I believe when you've got two goalies that you can really, it's a lot easier to create competition and development that way. Whereas if you've just got one, it's not that it's not easy, but it's, it's more difficult. Um, it's not as easy as it would be at the end too. Um, but you guys really have to be on the goalie to keep pushing them to get better. Um, but to circle back to that, yeah, I mean, I've had plenty of teams where I've only had one goalie. Um, and as you said, yeah, you just have to be cognizant of it and you have to, you know, have drills that you can run that still utilizes, you know, the amount of ice that you have um, with just said one goalie. Um, and again, we do have tools out there as coaches that we can use. You can put, if you have it, you can put up a shooter tutor. Um, Absolutely. You can put borders up, um, you know, whatever you have to do to kind of give the players just instead of just an empty net, because honestly, having an empty net, I feel like sometimes is just a waste, you know, help put a stick on top of the net and the netting where the goalie usually puts their water bottle and tell the kids like you got to shoot and you got to make the stick pop up, you know, whatever. Um, there are ways to do it. There are ways to do it. So, I mean, I think, you know, having one goalie that's just a cop out that just means you're not prepared as a coach um and you just need to you know again i've had practice where i've had no goalies you, you just figure it out you know you have to you can't just sit there and throw your arms up so absolutely um, you gotta think outside the box sometimes absolutely well i got well, a good story about my one goalie yeah go ready? for it i'm ready okay. so I'm, i moved up to new hampshire 2012 13 season i was coaching two teams i was with the local junior program here that was existing before the wolves and i got Kind of stir crazy, and and in uh, October I took a job on the other side of Lake Winnipesaukee, and I coached Kingswood High School. Okay. And uh, Kingswood High School hadn't had a winning season in like a decade. Uh, they had 16 kids on the team, and they had one goalie, and his name was Sean Goggins, and uh, he was a senior. Uh, he was he was okay in that. So I'll just say that. So we mm-hmm. we played. We had a good training camp, and we had a, a lot of confidence coming out of that gearing up for our first game and he goes first game and we lost eight to one to Dover. And I looked at my assistant coach, who's now the head coach over there, Mike Potenza. And I said, Mike, does, it looked like he didn't see the pocket all tonight. Like he was looked like he was like looking through a fog and he said, well, he does wear glasses. And I was like, Oh my God. How was my one st- who has glasses, not wearing his freaking glasses. <laughs> So we go through the season. He starts wearing the glasses. He's got the Rex specs underneath his cage. We go on a run. We won something like eight straight. We make it all the way to the state semifinals. Love it. And I, I, I still got one goalie, right? So we get, we get up on Bedford high school. It's one, nothing midway through the second period. And Bedford was like the number one seed and we're, we're doing okay. And 
behind the net sees it's like he saw that uh raw meat behind the net and he ran him hard and i was like oh, crap the glasses go flying off the helmets off uh they gave the they gave the kid a, a penalty two minutes but it was like he knows i got one goalie i'm screwed so next oh, shift they man. score one shorthanded they score another one to end the period he's totally rattled we go into the third down two to one uh we ended up tying it and then we finally we did eventually lose three to two but uh that was my one goalie season sean goggins big shout out to your brother uh it was a lot of fun that you're having him in nets but once we figured out that's this thing he was pretty good. He was pretty good. <laughs> it's the only a problem. Once the pucks, you know, just just get all your shots below the circle. It's fine. No big deal. <laughs> uh, you know, that's and that's one of the things that I, as a coach, I sit there and I, I mean, as a player, you kind of think about it. And I've had that happen to when I played. Um, we were, it was probably my junior season. We were out in Indiana and we were playing and we had, we had only one goalie. Um, and we were just creaming this team. And he was, I mean, we weren't creaming him. He was just standing at his head. Let me rephrase that. And he was playing fantastic. And um, he was an underclassman. Um, and we were playing a team. And again, these guys were just, it looks like they probably should have been in college. I mean, they were all probably drinking age, it felt like. Um, <laughs> and these guys, they, they did finally, one of their players just chipped the puck behind the net, uh, you know, coming in the offensive zone. And uh, Andrew, you know, was his name. He went behind the net and he stopped it. And he went to, he turned around to go back to the front of the net. And the kid didn't even bot like it was clear as day. He was looking to take him out and he fucking plastered him. <laughs> we were ready to jump the bench. I don't even, I wasn't on the ice or I would have been, I would have been all over that kid. Um, and he, the kid knew, he knew what he was doing. You know, and the coaches are starting to bark at each other. And I mean, it was just they, I mean, that rattled. Yeah, that rattled him. It rattled. Uh, there was nothing we could do. Uh, thank God he was not, you know, severely injured. He was still able to play. Um, who knows if he had a concussion? Nobody checked back then. Um, <laughs> but he, we, we, ended, we did. We ended up losing. They, they broke the dam and it just got chippy from there. But it was. I just sit there as a coach and I'm like, I would never tell any. And again, I, I'm sure the coach didn't, but it wouldn't surprise me back in the early 2000s of a coach did this, but I'm sure it happened in the eighties and nineties, but I would never send a player after another team's goalie just to get that competitive edge. And fine. Maybe I'm not cutthroat and maybe I'm not made out to be, you know, a top team coach over at fucking wherever, but that's just so shitty to do. It just means your team can't like your team's just not good enough. Like, so, yeah, no, those uh, that had a player run behind the net, you call call out Hanrahan, Hanrahan. <laughs> no, uh, not lately. Uh, we still got those hand signals, but we don't we don't pull them out too much. So, um, yeah, that was a trip down memory lane. I completely forgot about that. That uh, yeah, it was Indiana too. When there was a tournament, fuckers, man, God, now that pisses me off. But uh, all right, well, number <laughs> five here. It's been a lot. We've gone through all my emotions. We've gone through just me being completely brain dead to being pissed off, being happy, jovial. I mean, this is one for the books, folks. Um, it's going to be a new year. It is a new year, and this will be the last, hopefully the last time it goes in this direction. But uh, <laughs> number five is uh, stealing drills is bad. Um, you know, people, I think there's coaches out there that pride themselves on coming up with their own drills or taking them from, you know, just one source. Um but 
I think some of the best coaches that I've had, I mean, everybody's got a drill. Everybody runs the St. Louis drill at some point in their coaching career where it's, and again, I call it the St. Louis drill. You might call it, you know, something else, but it's, you know, the lightning drill or where the kid comes out of the corner during warmups, gets a pass from the other corner and comes in and shoots. Like everybody's steals drills. Everybody's ran that or the horseshoe. Like that's what it's called. You know, everybody runs those drills. So, if I see a drill, if I see a coach running a drill, and I've seen plenty of them, um, and it might be a, a coach who I think's a really good coach. It might be a coach that I was like, yeah, you need work on some stuff. But if I see a drill that I like, I'm going to steal it. I want to use it, and my team needs to use it, and it's hitting things that I could use, or maybe later, I'll steal it. And I think some of the best coaches, at least practice-wise, drill-wise, are some of the best at stealing other coaches' ideas and other coaches' drills. That's my opinion. I yeah. I agree with a thousand percent, Trevor. I think actually stealing drills is essential. <laughs> it is. I, I no, you're right, one hundred percent. I mean, you learn you that's you learn by watching and, and gathering information. I think another podcast I listened to an interview with Ken Hitchcock, and he said, uh, and he's you know he probably has eight hundred NHL wins, and he said that uh, most of the drills and his coaching philosophy was stolen uh, from a coach at University of Alberta when he was up up coaching uh, in the Western Hockey League. He learned a lot from, I think his name was Claire or something like that. No, I don't his last name. But he was a coach at University of Alberta, and he learned most of his coaching philosophy and most of his drills right from him. So if the best can do it, well, I think I we can. I think I can incorporate some of those ideas at the might level. You know, it's funny is that uh, actually a listener of ours, uh, the 2013 head coach, uh, Randy Swarzel, uh, who uh, listens and, you know, I think he's a good coach, and he's, uh, you know, last – Last week before, uh, right before Christmas, or was it right before or right after? I mean, it was right before. Yeah, it was right before. We had combined. We did a combined practices. Like I said, we've been doing those combined ones. And he threw out his drills and he sent them to me. And again, he just he hand drew them and perfectly fine. And I, I saw them and I was like, you know what? I'm going to steal a couple of these. So, Randy, if you're listening, which I hope you are, uh, this will probably be after I see you. Uh, but, uh, hey, yeah. Thanks for the drills because I will definitely be running a few of those. And then my way too, Trev. I always want more drills. Oh, absolutely. I will. You, you, <laughs> I mean, again, so that's always the best part. I think of, you know, as a coach working with other coaches um, and doing things, I've learned so much. Um, this is no longer talking about one individual. So just all the coaches I've worked with, whether they are fresh you know, coaches and they saw something they liked and they wanted to give it a go or whatever. I mean, there's drills that I've ran with midget te- players that you've ran with midget players that professional teams are running. Like, I think, I think it was uh, Scott Powers of the Athletic wrote a article. It was probably two years ago when Jeremy Colleton got him, you know, wherever he is. Good luck. Um, when he was the head coach of the Blackhawks and. They talked about, you know, he talked about one of his drill, like one of his practices. He went through every drill. He took video of it. And like, it was a great article. And I'm sitting here looking at it. And as I'm reading it, I'm, I'm like, hmm, I've got these parents that think they got all the answers. This is, again, this is not this year. So this is a couple of years ago. Um, I've got all the answers. Think, you know, their kids aren't getting a lot out of the practices. You know, we don't do, you know, this and that. And true complaints and again i just want to i bash my head in the wall when i read these but um 
And then here I go, I look at it and I go, hmm, and I'm reading the article. And at least four of the drills they do, the Blackhawks, are drills that are similar or the same exact drills that we have been working on with my 16U team. Same fucking <laughs> drills. So granted, Colleton got fired and he actually eventually so did I got so did I. But long story short, what I'm trying to say <laughs> is if it works at the pro level. And it makes sense at the level you're working at. Again, I had 16 years, so it made sense with those kids um, because they weren't that advanced drills. They were just you know, drills to work on certain situations. They're good enough for the pros, and I can get them to work here. The parents, you don't know what you're talking about. That is mic drop. <laughs> well, I think that's a good way to end it, Trevin. I couldn't agree more. I think this is a great episode. and will give a lot of information to families and coaches and parents. Uh, thanks again to head coach Craig Russell of Plymouth state for jumping on and sharing all your uh, insight and input uh, and happy, happy new year's guys. Everybody uh, hope you have a wonderful, we'll be getting some more content each and every, every month with uh, Trevor and I, and it'll be a lot of fun going forward in 2024. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, so again, parents, I do love you. Don't worry about it. Uh, so yeah, as uh, I am uh, Trevor DiCarlo. I'm Andrew Trimble. And uh, thanks for listening, and we'll uh, catch you on the next one.